Hello and welcome to Critical Line Item. My name is Tom Bradwick. Thank you for joining me for this particular podcast. The Australian National Audit Office has got itself an interesting assignment from somewhere, and it's been asked to look at whether or not the government has administered, well, the Australian Taxation Office, rather, on behalf of the government, has administered the JobKeeper scheme uh, properly. You'll be aware of the various controversies about the listed companies that have got swags of cash in the, in the millions of dollars uh, in JobKeeper that they possibly didn't need. Well, that may well be a part of the audit officer's remit to look at how this happened and why. But there's other concerns that people have about the JobKeeper scheme and how it was administered. So joining me uh, after a bit of an absence is Lisa Gregg, a, a tax trainer, tax agent, and um, all-round uh, guru or oracle on tax matters to have a bit of a look at how the uh, how the JobKeeper scheme worked at a ground level for people dealing with it. Lisa, thanks for joining me. Always a pleasure, Tom, and has been too long since we've officially chatted on your potty. Uh, no, that's fine. We can we can deal with that now. But um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, look, we've the ATO uh, has been in charge of administering JobKeeper. The ANAO's been asked to look at it. Now, on the one hand, you do have the issues I mentioned earlier on about the large companies that mm-hmm. managed to get a, a lot of JobKeeper money, and whether they needed it or not, is a separate issue. Um. But you see JobKeeper through a different set of eyes because you service small to medium enterprises. What are the things that uh, come to mind when you think about the way JobKeeper was rolled out and how it's... Yeah, very interesting, Tom, because um, I've just been looking at uh, the criteria, as we said, and I was talking about how it was administered. And the first thing that springs to mind with how it's administered is that the um, legislation that came in was really loose, if you can remember way back um, over 12 months ago now when when the legislation came through. A lot of it was left up to the discretion of the Commissioner of Taxation. So in effect, um, I think this ANAO um, uh, audit uh, will be sort of a bit of uh, self-assessment, as we call it, in the in the tax space as well, they'll be looking at um, how how the ATO effectively administered a JobKeeper scheme that they had pretty much full control over. So that's that's so that's the one thing that they could uh, decide on really what the criteria was. And uh, getting back to your your questioning point uh, is really that with the with large businesses they've got a lot of infrastructure to make sure compliance wise, process wise, documentation wise, they're doing the right thing, right? They've basically got a lot of people there. They can control the headcount. They can cover the overhead. Small businesses don't quite have the same um, smoothness of process, right? It's uh, an entrepreneurial person or a family business where everyone in the family works for it. That's usually my remit with um. With, with my clients. And so the stumbling blocks for me with the administration of JobKeeper for my clients wasn't necessarily 
that they were up to mischief and trying to game the system, a bit like the big end of town that, you know, reportedly should be trying to pay it back. As you said, that's another story. But also um, really that um, they've accidentally fallen, you know, out of out of whack with what was perceived to be the criteria of jumping into JobKeeper in the first place. Um, and the big, big, big issue, and there's still a big issue with me talking to some of my colleagues and things like that as well, and I think the biggest thing that I found was uh, the ATO holding up payments. So when JobKeeper first came out uh, and, and, and going forward, the we had to meet the wage condition, right? Clients had to meet the wage condition. So you basically had to pay and then JobKeeper became a reimbursement. So you had to commit to JobKeeper, pay your employees and meet the wage condition and get the reimbursement. The biggest problem I think came about was with that reimbursement being held up. Now, in the beginning, we had no line of sight over the reimbursement, the process that was coming. We just went, I don't know when the money's going to hit your account. We have to do a declaration by the 14th of the next month. What's going on here, right? And then a few months later, we had this wonderful thing. We all got excited. We accidentally found this thing called a critical response account in our, in our tax agent portal. And uh, then we could see the JobKeeper payments at least in there, and then they had to get released. So what I was finding, if there was anything quirky about any bank account, so if the bank account that they wanted the money to go into was different to the one that they had on their BAS or the different to the one that they had on their um, income tax return or something like that, it'd just hold up for no reason. And even though we would call up and say, please release the money, we can fix it all up, da-da-da-da-da, ra-da-ra-ra, um, it still required... Um, a few escalations to do that. And I had one client that, that held up a big proportion, so multiple months of JobKeeper, um, and it was held up for some couple of months, if you know what I mean. So, And, yeah. and I was ringing quite regularly as soon as the statutory requirement did. So I find that was where it was. It was the people that were, you know, accidentally caught up in the system it wasn't through any fault of their own it was just their own admin and not understanding um how you had to keep all your i's dotted and t's crossed now in saying that um the the bank was they set certain criteria in place and in previous conversations on this i think we you uh indicated that the ATO appeared to be somewhat inflexible. Um, yeah, that they were. However, uh, so, so if you think about the way legislation comes about, and this was fast-tracked, so there's a lot of flaws in the legislation because there was no cons consultation happening in the first place with JobKeeper, which I'm sure we've discussed in previous podcasts, Tom. Um, so there were some things that were written LAW law, like, you know, you had to um, have an ABN before the 12th of March 2020, and then, you know, you had to basically have already lodged a BAS by then and all these sort of things, which were pretty much written in law, but then there was the interpretation of what was right and what was wrong. Now, the way the law gets introduced with the discretion of the Commissioner of Tax, then we're relying on what we call extrinsic material, so commentary, things on websites, 
all that sort of thing to give us an idea of what the ATO views are on this. Okay, and so that's what we were flying blind for most of it. The beautiful thing that we've got now in hindsight is in March of this year, so 12 months pretty much after JobKeeper legislation became LAW law, um, we've now got a couple of cases coming through. So it's been tested by the AAT, the Administrative um, Tribunal, and so now we've got some judges that are giving a bit of an interpretation. And what's so interesting, and I'm wondering if this is what's triggering this, this audit inquiry as well, is that in one of the cases, if you looked at, you know, the black letter law or the, or the rigid interpretation of either the legislation or the ATO's views on it, um, there was, there's also a, uh, a carve out that says, or under the discretion of the Commissioner of Tax. So, so in the APTED case where they weren't eligible for JobKeeper uh, because of a, a ABN sort of issue, um, even though it wasn't legal in the, or, you know, it shouldn't have, Mr. APTED shouldn't have got JobKeeper, uh, the courts decided that the ATO should show discretion in that case. So where does that leave the first question of this, you know, audit inquiry saying the ATO effectively administered the rules because a lot of them were up to their discretion as well. So I think it could be a really big ask for the um, ANAO to actually look at it and go, well, we might have to look at the the outliers, if you know what I mean, because the, the a lot of the JobKeeper was, you know, if it didn't fit the box, it's up to commissioner of taxes discretion so therefore if it was up to the discretion how many times did they use that discretion how did they decide when they would use that discretion so therefore was that effective or not yeah it's interesting uh, when you when you sort of consider the fact that the ATO was able to be flexible but um and that will often depend won't it on how it's administered down the line, down, further down the line of management? Well, that's exactly right. And I think that was part of our frustrations as well, being agents that called up, because all of us were flying pretty much blind by it all. It was new legislation. It was not as rigorously drafted as normal legislation. And as we all know, tax law is really confusing and there's layer upon layer and layer. Um, that you're, you're making it sound like a, you're making it sound like that segment from Shrek, aren't you? Oh, did I do my accent? I sort of had, there was a little bit of an accent when I said that that uh, that uh, onion type comment from Shrek, but I don't think my Irish accent will, Scottish accent, is it Irish or Scottish, Tom? Um, anyway, the accent wasn't I don't think you, I don't think it matters. It's funny anyway. <laughs> yeah, good on you. Um, I've, I've <laughs> totally lost my train of thought now. Thanks, Ravlik. Um, but it, it, um, it, as with any decent tra with any decent public transport service, it'll eventually come back to the same station. It's okay. <laughs> well, yeah, it does. And that, that's that's exa that's exactly right. But with um, so yeah, with administration. So our frustration. I know where I was getting to now. Um, with our frustration, uh, it's really going to depend on who we call, right? So they put a lot of resourcing into um, answering the phones at the ATO during during COVID, which was fantastic. Uh, instead of being on the hold for twenty minutes or you know, to, to wait to talk to the right person. We basically got through pretty much straight away, but then we wanted to make sure that the person that we were talking to could actually help us. Otherwise, we would have preferred to stay on hold for 20 minutes, Tom, to be 
pretty pretty brutal with you. Um, and so we're relying on them going through the process, their, their flow charts, the person on the other end of the phone. And, you know, you get to a point, us being very au fait because we've got to deal with our clients for these sort of things, it ended up being all of us were asking, can you see anything more than what we can read on the website? Because we can read and interpret, interpret, you know, ATO views on this. And they basically go, ah, no. And they go, well, can we escalate it? Yes, it can get escalated and then call back in 30 business days or whatever it was, right? So yeah, you're right. It's it's only as good as the, the chain of command. And you know, what we, I mean, it's a joke amongst us, us tax agents, that if we call up and get someone that we don't like the answer to, we hang up the phone and ring up again to see if we can get someone who is more helpful for us or can can, can work the system because, um, you know, they may be able to do things, you know, beyond, you know, pushing the envelope a little bit just to help us out if we're asking for things really. And, um, you know, that, that's not talking out of school, that all of us tax agents say exactly the same thing. It's a big joke. You know, we basically hang up the phone and we'll, we'll, we'll pick it up again and talk to someone else and then they can help us. Well, what else? I mean, that, that is the sort of administrative end. You, you mentioned the clients have, have struggled a bit. Um, some of them have been, um, you know, hamstrung for months on end. What are the other administrative issues that made this a bit tough? Look, I think the biggest thing was the changing information that was coming through. You know, as I alluded to earlier, it was pretty hastily drafted, which means it didn't oh, go to is this the Is this the, you know, sort of the big wheelie bin of announcements on a Friday night? Yeah, exactly, Tom. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It kept, the the goalpost, well, did the goalpost change or the interpretation kept getting clarified? And, um, you know, then the change. I, I don't think it matters because it confused you, you know. anyway. Well, it, it, and, and then it was, it's quite interesting. And then there was, I mean, and you could tell that there was too many announcements because then there was a page that listed all the announcements. So we had an announcement about how many announcements there were. On a page, and that was our go-to timeline page of all the announcements. And and as you know, and as many do who 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 play on the internet, which is all of us now, including you know our parents and all that sort of thing, is that you can edit a page on the internet, and there's no audit trail. So you'd 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 go on a link about JobKeeper, have a bit of a read, and go, "Yep, we're going to implement that." And then next week, that same page or that same QC number, which would be an identifier with a different date on it, would change, but we can't find the previous one. So we've implemented some sort of strategy for our client um, with on based on something that we've got no history of now. So what we were starting to do, we were starting to do snippy tool and, and you know print screen on everything. And some of us have actually got the whole series of announcements. So we actually had an audit trail going, well, this appeared on this day. So yeah. this, and, and we applied the rules this day. So therefore you can't tell us off because that was the best information we had at the time. So it ended up being... It, it, it was just a administrative jigsaw puzzle. And, you know, just to add to that, talking to my peers about this as well, it's always interesting because when we learn tax, we learn a lot about the assessment and the legislation and those sort of things. And then we look at the Admin Act as well because, you know, we've got 
you know, six different acts really, or seven probably if you want to call FBT as well and GST, um, that, that cover all our tax rules. But the real one that you don't learn and you can only learn on the job is how do you deal with the ATO and how do you juggle things? How do you do payment plans? How do you do deferral requests? How do you do requests for remittance of interest? Those sort of things. And that's where we were at, that if you weren't a skilled and um, had a number of years experience in dealing with the ATO, you would have been totally lost with JobKeeper because the, the, the rules, the interpretation, rules is probably a bit too strong word, but the interpretation kept changing on us. So we didn't know what to do at some stages. And this will be interesting to see if this comes out in the audit process. Yeah, it's um, the the actual confusion that came through when um, we spoke during the pandemic uh, more frequently about this topic is that yeah, it comes down to, I guess, speed kills, the old TAC ad. The quicker you do stuff, the more likely it is you're going to, you're going to, yeah, crash rather than crash through and a lot of a lot of people won't be taken along with the process properly um won't be able to deal with it properly simply because it hasn't been constructed well well yes and but that's that's the counterintuitive really to it to it isn't it tom where i mean the the, the government was saying we've got to get this money out into the hands of people quickly and so that speed kill sort of means that there's going to be a bit of you know, a bit of bit of bit of um, collateral damage, maybe, is the right word to use with it all. Because I look, let's let's just talk about you know what we've alluded to both, um, and I know it's a little bit different, but like the handing back of the JobKeeper payments, I find I, I just find that whole storyline really unusual. Because firstly, if you took the money, I'm assuming you needed it, or yep. you thought you needed it. Um, if you give the money back to the ATO, um, last time I looked, the ATO aren't a charity or a deductible gift recipient. So if you give the money back, it's not actually deductible, but the JobKeeper payments were accessible. So they've made a little quirk on that saying, well, you're allowed to adjust it, but there's no legislation to support that, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. The second thing is, and you know this because it was a big frustration when we were talking as well. Every month we'd have to do a declaration to release the JobKeeper payments. So, you know, yeah. as we were talking earlier, so we had to, our clients had to meet the wage condition. So they had to lodge their single touch payroll and pay at that point in time during the during the JobKeeper fortnight, as we were talking about. And there was yeah. usually two or three JobKeeper fortnights in the month. And then you do a declaration as the month ticked over. And you had to do that by the 14th. And then all going well, you then got your money released within um, two to three business days after that, right? So that's sort of the timeline. Now, mm -hmm. when you went to do the declaration, you had to say how many employees got it and you had to do what, what's your current turnover of whatever you decided to qualify for to make the 30% or 50% downturn, depending on how big your organisation is. Um, and, but then you also had to do a forecasted um, GST turnover 
for the current year. And that was the one that was really frustrating us because it had no bearing whatsoever apart from statistical purposes. So that was the number where we had to have the best guess that we could for our clients. And they, and they said, well, what do we, we don't know, Lisa. We're in Melbourne. We could be shut down next week. And what, I mean, on one on one um, of those, I said, let's just put zero down because I think we're going to go into our second lockdown. Let's just bet on it and we won't be able to operate at all, right? So you, you had to put that number in, which was the most frustrating thing at, at all because you had to sort of try and guess something. And it was only there for statistics purposes, which means it was meant to show indications of how well that business was recovering. Now, Tom, you and I both in Melbourne, we know we had a few little false starts in trying to get out our um, economy back up and going with um, with everything. So that was that became a little bit frustrating. So let's just go back mm. to now the big businesses that are now giving back JobKeeper. Um, yeah. as, I, as I said at the beginning of our discussion, they've got processes, they've got overhead, they can they can keep all their little all their little um, processes, all their quality control in a row and all their compliance should be absolutely squeaky clean. And they should know everything in real time. I can't work out why they didn't know. So if JobKeeper started in, what, March, then we had to do one for April. By May, you sort of knew whether you could pivot your business. In May, why did they put in a JobKeeper declaration? If they didn't need the money, like you had to put in a job declaration to just to try and recoup the money. So why did they even put in the next monthly monthly declaration if they didn't need the money so and when they should have known if their businesses had pivoted because you know they're selling online or you know everyone's buying toilet paper or everyone's buying freezers you know how the story went so I'm I'm really confused on a number of levels with that repayment story because mm. seems to be it's to me the logic flaws there's there's a lot of logic flaws in in the whole argument for it so we'll see how it goes but like you know it's coming down to as well as well, the they, they can't be they can't be doing too well in some of the some of the stores that might have people having a bitch and a moan about having had to have having had to try and pay having had to pay rent to people and whatever else um smiggle is flogging stuff online for 50 percent off i think um but they shut a lot of their stores though i think as well didn't they smiggle um, or was it Kiki K? I don't know. Do you do you use oh, you, you you go to Smiggle, don't you, Tom? <laughs> uh, well, then I've been looking at it online because <laughs> I've been getting emails for the past week. Um, oh, all my emails have been um, cryptocurrency related. It's amazing how much interest they think I've got in Bitcoin and Ethereum and. and oh no no no! Oh, you mean you mean you get you get the Bitcoin and crypto cryptocurrency stuff. What in your main email, or do you get it in spam? Oh, it's, well, well it's, it's it's an email address that comes to me. So, I mean, how many have I got? I've got about three email addresses that all come into me. But it's it's spam. But it's quite interesting that they must think I'm very interested in cryptocurrency. Well, I get I get that stuff, but it goes into my spam folder. Yeah, well, that's where mine goes too. But they still it still comes in. Yeah, but you must look at your spam folder more often than I do. Then. Well, I clear it because it clogs up my inbox. Are you one of these people that have got 2,536 unopened emails in your little icon? I can't, I can't manage that. I've got, um, hold on. I've, I've got to clear mine. Maybe it's my, my ADD coming through, but. 
Um, I don't like having things that that show unopened. Well, I've got 579 emails in my spam folder. Mm-hmm. And in there, there are... Um, uh, um, people who uh, who want to... Uh, some guy called Tom Rablick who's trying to sell me stuff, which is always interesting. Um... There's a couple of things that ask for payment verification. There's a couple of things that uh, ask me to check balances. There's um, your password being compromised. Uh, yes, my, pa- my PayPal password gets compromised a lot. The funny thing is, I use a special email for my PayPal um, PayPal uh, account, and and they always send it to my to, to one of my other ones. And so I go, well, that's definitely spam. Oh, it's um, yeah, it is a uh, uh, all sorts of. I get all sorts of offers from all sorts of strange people. Um, <laughs> that could be exciting, but anyway, and uh, no, no, not particularly. Um, well, if I was to click on it, it probably wouldn't be. But the <laughs> the issue being um, all the all the coming back to mm-hmm. the fair way rather than. You know, trolling through the rough. Yep. Um, the issue being that these large department stores have had a uh, yeah a, an interesting attitude towards JobKeeper. Certainly, some of these guys have paid it sort to pay it back or portion of it back, but it doesn't um, seem equitable when you think about the fact that the small people that you look after have not got the same uh, headcount of people to deal with compliance. It falls on the shoulder of the practitioners in suburban firms. And it makes the uh, issue far more serious and it provides a a stark contrast, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, Tom. And and I think that's one of the things that um, needed to be looked at. That um, I I've said this to quite a few people that if you had a squeaky clean business in terms of you banked all your cashies, you you had your work cover in place, um, you paid everyone the right um, award wages, um, you're on single touch payroll. Uh, that's all the things sort of coming to my mind very quickly, right? If you did all that, you could, the, the, the COVID stimulus systems worked extremely well. The access to like something like the Victorian government grant worked extremely well because you had to prove that you're on JobKeeper and you had your work cover things and uh, in place, work cover policy in place and things like that. So if you did everything correctly, um, that's the right thing to do. Now, of course, there was, you know, the outliers in the system maybe as well. So if you look at, you know, there's nothing to stop you running your business from a trust structure. And trust structures, if it's if it's a family business, no one pulls a salary in a trust structure. You basically sort everything out at, on 30 June when everyone's presently entitled to the distributions and they just take the money then, right, that they've pulled out through the year. So if you're in that case, of course, then you didn't have any pay-as-you-go um, 
installments, you wouldn't have got, you didn't start pay as you go installments, um, pay as you go withholding because you weren't employing anyone. There goes your cash flow boost. Um, in those structures, if you weren't paying anyone, you could only nominate one person to get JobKeeper. So in terms of the effectiveness for the me measures to protect the integrity of the JobKeeper payments and things like that, you know, there was some design flaws. So, you know, if I look at the criteria pretty much of what the audit's looking at, I think the main gripes that have come through from our profession has been more in the design of the policy in the first place. You know, it's 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 sort of one size fits most, but there was a lot of people that that, that couldn't avail themselves of it. Well, so to me, that could have been a, a bigger issue than the real the implementation. So then, in that that case, does that thing go to the commissioner's discretion? Right. So it's 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 it, look, it's a difficult. This is going to be a difficult one. And I'm not sure whether this is going to actually get to the cruxes the way that I see it, which is that I don't think Treasury, who drafted the legislation, had a good enough handle on how small business operates, right? Because they operate a little bit differently to big business. And but if yeah, you look that, at about yeah, it, the big business got it, and they're the ones that are talking about paying it back. So maybe it wasn't effective, you know? Well, there, there's something else there as well. If you remember um, the speed at which this came in, and then you had a question about sole traders and whether sole traders could be could get JobKeeper, uh, and that became an issue. Uh, hand, and put my hand up here at the same time. I was looking at which way to go, and I ended up I ended up as a sole trader going to Centrelink. Um, and dealing with, with the job seeker part of it, because it was just, by the time you put an application in with the ATO for JobKeeper, you had to wait for whatever it was until you got confirmation that you were on. Hmm. Yeah. It, and there was also a lot of discussions about double dipping, you know, so could you get job seeker? as well as JobKeeper as an eligible business participant, right? So you're not really double-dipping JobKeeper because they made sure of that because you had to quote your tax file number. So, look, there's, there's, it's going to be interesting what the actual scope of um, this audit's going to um, cover because, uh, I mean, the big thing was if there was a hiccup, how quickly was it resolved? And was there a hiccup in the system because of poor process due no fault to the taxpayer or was it a hiccup because someone was trying to game the system right and you know that's that's really hard like you know as I said to you earlier on I had one held up just because the the bank accounts didn't match right and that's I mean I think that's fair enough but if you then align the bank accounts Surely they should release the money quickly. It shouldn't have to go through a number of tiers of escalation. No, it shouldn't. But it, it's one of those uh, one of those issues that the ANAO will definitely need to look at. Uh, today is May the nineteenth. Uh, before we sort of wrap the conversation up, May the nineteenth is. Uh, bit over a month to 30 June. 
Um, now, there'll be some people thinking about what they what uh, they do in terms of tax for, for the, this particular tax year being 2021. What are their... It, I think it's important to draw uh, this distinction between what happens when someone is self-assessing and what happens with when they get a tax agent. What are the... Um, if you're self-assessing, you've got to get all your uh, stuff together by the end of October, correct? Mm-hmm, that's correct. Okay. So if you're doing it yourself, you have a deadline of the end of October 2021 to get all your stuff to the tax office. Yep. If you have a properly registered, qualified tax agent, you get to the middle of May 2022. Yes, we did a lot of lodgements on Monday, Tom, as you well know. And, but see, look, so you owe the ATO money, get a tax agent, and, and if, it's, if it's reasonable, and lodge it 15 May, or if it falls on a weekend, which is what it did on the weekend we had till Monday. Um, if you're getting money back, uh, you lodge ASAP. That's how the rules work. Now, as we know, uh, this year, we also the year that we're in, um, the, the LMITO is the gift that keeps giving. So that $1,080, which isn't a refund, it's a refund of tax. So you've got to have paid tax to get some money back. Um, eligible up to about 90,000K. 90, so if your taxable income's around about 90,000K, there's a high, 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 high probability you'll get some money back. So you can use that as a rule of thumb. So uh, once everything's in the system, if you're share traded and traded in Bitcoin, I'm just joking, but if you have, no, really, um, you should probably wait till beginning of August is the earliest to have some assurances that uh, all the data is in through the ATO significant and widespread data matching. Uh, if you just a really basic salary and wage journey, you've got a little bit of interest uh, you've got private health insurance, maybe, maybe not. Um, you could probably lodge your tax return from about the 14th of July because that's when all your pays you go instalment. No, oh, sorry, oh, I keep saying that at the moment. Um, your uh, It's not payment summaries, income statements. When your income statements are all in through single touch payroll. Um, so it's sort of much roll forward from last year is the way that I, I say it. You, you know, the way my joke, Tom, what did the accountant cross the road because they did it last year? Well, there's not yeah. too many. Your you, you, average salary and wage, individual tax um, payer, it's pretty much roll forward from last year. You can claim the same working from home rates. That's all up until 30 June. Um, you get your LMITO back as well. So pretty much whatever you did last year, continue on from this year. Just make sure you've worked out, you're working from home hours and you've kept a diary for that. Um, and if you're going to use the 80 cent rate, which is the shortcut method, you can't claim anything else. Uh, and uh, if you've got a got a uh, dedicated area and you want to claim your depreciation on your on your laptop and your desk, and your internet access and things like that, you need to need to do the 52, you can need to use the 52 cent method. Um, and just remember that even if you're working from home, um, you can't claim toilet paper and Tim Tams and tea and coffee 
even if that is supplied by your workplace. Yeah, and that I think is going to be the thing that the AGA watches very, very carefully. Well, that um, quote is just verbatim <coughs> from, from the ATO guys. That's why I use it. I think they use those three as an example. Um, it's, it's just a it's, look, it's a stupid quirk of our, of our ta tax laws, Tom, where if it's staff amenities on the premises, you can claim those as a deduction. But if you're at home, you can't claim them because they're considered private in private in nature so that's the way that the rules work but um and you know people are trying for wear and tear on their carpet and all that sort of stuff just covers in your work from home rate being 52 or 52 cents if you're claiming other things or 80 cents if you can't be bothered um and like the 80 cent method i think my few tax returns that i did at 80 cents you know you're probably gaming you know somewhere between 400 and 600 dollars out of that which is pretty nice so you get a deduction for that if you're in, being in Melbourne and we've been forced to lock down for as long as what we had um, and then you've got your LMITO your 1080 that's prorated up to 90k uh, and that's sort of you can probably go from there I think that's pretty nice you're not going to have too much interest because interest rates are pretty much as flat as ever we, we've seen them in our lifetime so it's, it's pretty straightforward so if if that's your persona if that's your, your the type of type of taxpayer you are jump on my gov and and run with it you don't need to come and see someone like me. I'd just go and jump into MyGov and do what you need to do. And there's plenty of tools on how to claim your work from home. Um, and everything else pretty much gets populated. So at least you'll get something back, I think. Yeah, it's a, but anyone that's got more complex affairs really does need to see an advisor of some description. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I'm just talking about the real basic stuff. I mean, you know, I, I do some really basic returns, but they're sort of friends of friends and things like that um, to just help them out. But um, a lot of people have, have played in the gig economy and use, using platforms to do things. Uh, you know, just be, just be wary for people out there listening that the ATO has got very sophisticated data matching. There's a whole list of things. If you go data matching ATO and Google that, you'll be able to see all the platforms that they can um, jump on. Like if you sell anything um, on Amazon or um, eBay, I think it's anything over than about, if you sell anything more than about $10,000 worth in, 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 a, uh, in a year, it basically will get triggered and that data will actually go to the ATO. So, um, you know, it's, it's mindful to um, keep an eye on that because uh, they could think that you're running a business and not just trying to sell that, uh, that uh, Star Wars memorabilia that you think you, you need to, to uh, get some money or something like that. So you've just got to watch what it is. And if you're doing a side hustle that looks like a business, well, you've got to pay tax on it. If it's a windfall gain or you've won the money, on the cash cow or something like that, which is $90,000 tomorrow. I don't know. I was just watching it this morning. I'm just going a bit gaga because I've had such a busy time coming up to lodgements on Monday, from, uh, that was done on Monday. Um, yeah, those windfall gains, non-taxable, as uh, the treasurer said this morning on telly, breakfast telly. Oh, there you go. All right, Alicia, um, but then that covers a fair bit of material uh, in terms of the ANAO and also some things people need to think about for the upcoming tax season. Uh, thanks for joining me, uh, joining me today. I know it's been a while. We probably should do another one in a, in, in a, <laughs> a bit sooner than than you know uh, we've we've had for a, for a bit of time. 
Well, we, I might have not rambled as much and it might have been a bit more succinct, Tom. So terribly sorry that I rambled at different times and we went off on tangents, but you and I talk a lot anyway and then I forget that it's getting recorded, so it's all good. <laughs> have, a, have a good one, my friend. Thank you very much for inviting me and I'm very disappointed I didn't make the 100th episode, so uh, 102, 103, whatever you're up to. Congratulations on your 100 as well, Tom. Um, it's been a fantastic achievement. I think the biggest thing with podcasts is keeping them consistent. Everyone thinks that... Uh, Everyone thinks they'll do one and then, you know, they do about 20 and then they get bored with it. But, uh, you know, for the past, maybe COVID's helped you, but um, in terms of your consistency, but um, keeping things going. And I must admit, you know, your back catalogue is extremely impressive with who you've spoken with and the topics that you've covered because you've got quite um, a broad scope of interest areas. It's just not in accounting and tax. So um, congratulations on hitting over 100 on Critical Line Item. And uh, thank you for, for popping back on. Yeah, this should be um, this should be number one hundred and two uh, when it goes up tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you, Lisa, and uh, um, also uh, thanks to uh, all the folks that have been listening to this podcast. And I'll be back pretty soon with another one for you uh, in the next little while. <laughs>